After the holidays, a little cash goes a long way. The Chime checking account has tons of benefits to help, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and thousands of fee-free ATMs. You can even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. Sign up for Chime today at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. A playlist original. Just watch me. The medium is the message. Proof is approved. What kind of proof? It's approved. It has no core identity. Smashed potatoes are no gravy. You know what I'm saying? Speaking uh, moistly on them. Hello and welcome to Just Watch Me. I'm Kate. And I'm Liv. And today on our second episode of Book Club, we're talking about The Midnight Bargain. It's very exciting. So how do we how do we start this episode? Where to begin with this book, really? What kind of book do we have here, Liv? Okay, I felt like it was kind of like a young young adult book. I agree, but everywhere is very clear that it's an adult fantasy book. <laughs> yeah, I it feels mean, very YA to me, though. It feels very um, yeah yeah YA fantasy. Like it's like yeah. It, I'm trying to think of like a, a more comparable one. It's not. It's not really Hunger Games. It's a little bit closer to the vibe of like the selection. If for those people who know their YA, I, I don't. I definitely think this would be better suited to the youths than adults. But that's just my that's my personal opinion. It's it's a fantasy historical romance, of course. Um, but yeah, I agree. It does feel, it feels a little bit, a little bit young. Um, but that's no shade. I think it's, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, this book is from C.L. Polk, a Canadian author from Calgary. They are a fantasy writer, uh, and a, an interesting person, um, and this is from their website. After leaving high school early, they worked as a film extra, sold vegetables on the street, and identified exotic insect species for a vast collection of Lepidoptera, I hope that's right, before settling down to write fantasy novels. Um, so this novel was a finalist for Canada Reads. Um, and you may know C.L. Polk from their other novel, uh, other fantasy novel, Witchmark, I think is their most popular other novel. Um, did you like this book? Well, I should say, like, we found this book through the CBC Reads. Uh, this was, I think, on the shortlist, actually. It ended up like making it past the long list. What I think is like I wanted to really trust the CBC Canada Reads list as being like books that I think are really, um, really strong. And like this certainly was. I really enjoyed it. Um, there were parts of it that I was like completely compelled at. I wanted to. I was very invested in like finding out what happened. Um, but you know. For me, I don't really, I don't really love the fantasy genre. Just generally, I was really hoping that this would be kind of like a little bit more like, as you described it, a historical romance, which it's like, you know, um, billeted as. And um, we didn't, we didn't really get any romance, to be honest with you. And so. Yeah, that was the big letdown for me. I didn't I didn't get the romance. <laughs> what about you? I did like this book. I'm not um I think maybe if you're not as into fantasy, maybe this won't be for you. But I I listen, I dabble in fantasy. <laughs> I'm not I'm no stranger to the genre. I did find it a lot like the moment the book started and there's all like there's terms and stuff I'm having to look up like I didn't have to look up what a grimoire was um I don't really like the term mage I think that's a really weird I agree with that I agree with that I prefer like witcher wizard because maybe I've come <laughs> to know those from Harry Potter and I'm comfortable with those but I think whenever I hear the word like mage or like sorcerer it just takes you right out of the story <laughs> yes but having said that like We'll get into this with the with the themes of the book, but I think that the fact that she didn't pick 
which probably was um a conscious choice choice. Mm -hmm. yeah because of the like historical significance of um like witches you know Mm -hmm. or i mean i guess i should say how women were prosecuted for being witches right scare quotes witches yeah okay so quick synopsis of the book um set in a faraway fantasy land chasland the midnight bargain is a story about beatrice claiborne who makes her debut at bargaining season an event where wealthy young women and men gather from around the world to make advantageous marriage matches however beatrice's family is extremely in debt and they have staked everything to equip her for bargaining season a proper match for beatrice is their only hope of escaping financial ruin as the story develops beatrice finds herself trying to make an impossible choice between realizing the full potential of her talent and marrying for true love and having a family so when i first read this synopsis i really thought there was going to be this emphasis on bargaining season and it was going to be like this interesting romance where there was multiple suitors there was following in love and then you know at the at at the same time there was the, you know her internal struggle but what actually happened was that the whole book was the internal struggle was it not i wanted a little less internal struggle i wanted a little more balls you mean yeah regency balls you mean yes balls we got about <laughs> we got about a ball and a half i don't even really see- I don't even really feel like we got one. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, there was no, like... Because even at the first ball... She like, spends it the was, whole time eating cake. She doesn't even dance with anybody. Yeah, and she talks to, to her, you know, internal um, spirit, which we should probably explain right now before we get into it. I listened to the audiobook, and the voices of the spirits were tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no shade to the voice actor who... For the most part, I thought, I think did a good job. Yeah, I (laughs) I agree. I think because people, especially in the reviews, I noticed people are like, I loved the spirit. I know. My spirit was my favorite part. And I was like, I I see that for you. But we had a really big hurdle to overcome with the voice, with the voice work that was done with the spirit. So we just, we couldn't get on your level. But I, I wanted to, and I could see how the spirit was kind of like, um, charming yes well it was like the spirits are like childlike and they're kind of like i don't know if they're supposed to be in kind of an id right because they're they're driven by impulse and they're like kiss the boy eat the cake like that's what <laughs> that's how they sounded on the audiobook no no but that's like not how they, yeah that's not how they sounded they sounded okay. a lot worse Could you do it um it's kate the best thing that no I, you have to do it okay i'll try but the thing that i um that it sounded like to me was, uh, is it Lord of the Rings? Like Gollum? Like that's what it sort of sounded like. Like the, like, it was like, Lottie, Lottie wants this. And the whole time. <laughs> was that close? That was good. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. Oh my God. It was just like so breathy and high and had this like weird accent that was like, can we also talk about that? Like the accents in the book made no sense to me. The accents in the book made no sense. I know we always do this when we because we listen to the audiobook. Sorry for people who actually read, but um, the like I don't understand why the people from a different country are just like vaguely kind of French. Did you notice that? <laughs> yeah, that's what they decided to do. Which, to be fair, I appreciated that people had different accents so that you like you it like was a good marker of like, okay, this person's not from here. Um, but I feel like I, when I first started it, I was like, this is a Canadian book, right? <laughs> right? Why am I in England? First of all, you know? So yeah, well, it's listen- supposed to be, I guess, but I didn't understand why like the, so Beatrice's love interest and new best friend who are brother and sister, um, the Levons are like, yeah, like they're kind of vaguely French. <laughs> it doesn't really like, but I felt like they were supposed to be from like really far away. Like I felt like they, they were kind of, they were kind of described as being almost from another continent. So that didn't make sense either. Why they would just be like from a neighboring country. Like they're supposed to be from a faraway land from our faraway land, you know? And Beatrice is supposed to be, that's the other thing too, is that, Beatrice is supposed to be, um, like, rural, like, a country girl, too. And she kind of just, she just sounds like English. 
Yeah. I didn't have such a problem with that because like her family clearly has some money, right? Like I think like my understanding with like bargaining season in the Regency era that like if you were even like at the balls, you had like some affluence. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Getting to the balls in the marriage market. Okay, let's do it. Let's dive right in. Well, you sold this to me. You told me that someone said this was like Bridgerton with magic. Okay, no, that was those are my words. That's you. So you sold. You said that. You think that. Do you think that's an earned an earned characterization? No, excuse me. That was my characterization based on the synopsis that I read. I hadn't read the book at the time. Okay. So you know. You have to understand that you put me into this experience, telling me it was me Bridgerton with magic. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. And there was one shitty kiss. That was that was what... Did you not get that from the synopsis? Was that not, like, the vibe? I did. I did. So, you know, in my defense, it was the synopsis that lied to us, not me. Right. So you have no... Um, you're taking my, no responsibility. My hands are clean. I mean, the only thing that's really similar there is the fact that it's... Like Regency England, where, you know, the London social season where people gather and negotiate marriages. Um, Of course, there are the balls and the lovely gowns. But, again, we didn't really get enough balls or lovely gowns, in my opinion. Like, I think it could have been Bridgerton with magic. Like, I think that this book had every potential of being that had they leaned into the balls a little bit more because like this um, Beatrice's family to me was like super similar to the Featheringtons, you know, like dad's in financial ruin. Um, There's like the, the sister bond. That's a little love hate Um, moms. I mean the mom and in the, this, this family is a little bit um, you, you root for her a little bit more. than Mrs. Featherington, but like the vibe, the vibe's kind of the same. Like you're, you're rooting for Beatrice in the same way that like, let's say you're rooting for Penelope in the show. Right. But we just, they didn't see, like, it was also like the thing that I didn't understand was that like, so this guy that she ends up with Laurent, no, that's not his name. How do you say his name? Okay. The way it's spelled is weird, but I'm going to pronounce it the way they did in the audio book, which is like Yante. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And, um, he was like apparently the most eligible bachelor, you know, super wealthy guy. And then Beatrice like appears to have no other suitors really, um, apart that, that don't derive from his interest in her. And like, that just like didn't really make sense to me because we didn't establish like that she was like charming or like interesting or anything. Like all of a sudden he's just like, or even like beautiful, like there's just like no, there's no establishing of their relationship and what either person sees in the other. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of problems with the relationship, but like we just didn't even get the bare minimum. No, I want to talk about the problems with the relationship. I am, I'm, this is one of my chief beefs (laughs) of this book is that there's really no development at all with that. Like the first, so spoiler, spoilers, at the ball, there's the spirit. This is also doesn't make a lot of sense. The spirit is like really in Beatrice's ear and really wants her to kiss somebody. She okay, wants wait. to have her first kiss. So she summons the spirit and the, the thing is that the spirit comes into your body and like becomes part of you. And so this, the spirit like is kind of guiding her through this first ball. I guess we should just say that because it's a little confusing, but that's what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And the spirit really wants her to kiss someone and she kind of ends up outside with Yante and she ends up telling her that she needs to kiss someone. I forget what she says to him. Anyway, there's like no build up and like they kiss At all. and it's like, okay, Mad- what was the whole point of the rest of the book? Yeah. Cause it's like, that's their first meeting and there's a kiss, but then I didn't necessarily have a problem with that in the moment because I thought it might be like a bit of a Cinderella thing where, um, you know, they're like struggling to find each other or they struggle to get back to that moment. But that wasn't the case. They just, all of a sudden he's like madly in love with her and he's the super eligible bachelor, but she's like, Hmm, I'm not sure about you. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. And I don't think it's super fair because we don't get any development of her love interest. Like 
What do we know about Yante? He's super loaded. He's hot. He smells good. Like the way she describes him also, she always describes using like, like it's just that he smells like spicy. I don't know. But that's all that we really know and that he's like kind of nice to her. Like he has no personality to speak of at all other than being handsome and like kind of kind. Um, and then kind of coming around to her feminism when they when he like takes her home that one time. No, you know? no, no. That was absolutely not a, like that was like the worst part of the book. So like I just found him such like a wet blanket and she would be like describing this like, you know, deep feminist struggle that she was going through, like, you know, expecting him to not really care. And his reaction was always just like, oh my God, that's horrible. We must do something to stop that. Like, it's just such a wet blanket reaction. You know what I mean? Like, it's not really like, I was like, okay, that's great that he understands, like, seems like the bare minimum here. I don't know. Like, it wasn't, it didn't, didn't give him a personality in any way for me no he didn't get much personality i think maybe um as far as character development i don't think we get a lot from beatrice either other than she wants to be a sorceress and she doesn't really want to get married because she doesn't want to be restricted in that way what really is is her character like i don't really get to see that i think it's obviously hard when it's from her perspective because it's hard to see how other people perceive her. Um, but what do I know about her? Like, it's very little. Like, like I don't know. Like, the little things. Like, how much milk goes in her tea? Like, I just don't... I don't know what, what she's about. Yeah, like, I think... And I think that, to be honest, like, the bargaining season could have been a really great springboard for that. As, oh, like, absolutely. different suitors interacted with her, we would have been able to see, like, her wit or her, like kindness or like it was just like a bit of a shame that we missed because like when like when they were blanket talking about the suitors who were coming to the the bargaining season and and kind of like the hierarchy of suitors especially with the men you know like you know that the minister uh minister minister's sons were like the the cream of the crop at the the bargaining season like those guys to me seemed like so so much fun was could have been had with like playing with those characters because they were so like absurd they seemed to me to be like absurdly douchey you know and like i missed kind like of, the finance guys of 2021 literally literally the minister's sons at the ball yeah and like it just seemed like there was so much like potential lost there to like play with just like how like horrible these guys are and like that ultimately like the choice to be like, I think that that would have been more fun to just be like, all these guys suck and women should be able to like pick magic because like, there's no good option here. Right. And then maybe you introduce, um, you know, her eventual, uh, Ivante to say like, wow, he's so different. You know, he understands he's from a different cult. You know what I mean? Like, that's just what I wanted. Um, but, um, yeah. And also like, just like the Regency, like the Regency, like balls and stuff are so like magical and like there's so much opportunity for just like anything to happen you know yeah that that was a missed opportunity for sure i think i would have i definitely would have liked more like proper bargaining season stuff and we have a few a few gentlemen kind of float in and out but we don't really see like there's one ball where she dances with a bunch of guys and a bunch of minister's sons and they kind of say really douchey things. But yeah, we don't really, it could have been used as an opportunity to show us some stuff about Beatrice. Obviously we have, I forget, it was like towards the end of the book, there's a much older suitor who comes to the house for a meal. And because she has a spirit within her at this point, the spirit is like um, just completely sabotaging the night. And like he gets like stuff spilled all over him but again it's not like oh like that would be very princess Dari's like charming um charming clumsy girl but like that was the spirit like that wasn't even Beatrice herself <laughs> like there was nothing like we don't learn anything about Beatrice in that because the spirit is kind of taking over mm-hmm. you know and that, that might be me. that might be why one of the hindrances and the hinders um to um, like why we didn't feel like we got to know Beatrice that well is because like we were getting to know her with the spirit and it was like 
I felt like it was difficult to distinguish like what really was the spirit and what really was her. Like, I don't feel like that was super clear either. Like how much power the spirit really had to like, anyway, I think I'm ready to move on from my, my, uh, need for more bargaining season. Should we talk about some of the, some of the interesting symbols in this book? I think one of them, the most obvious one is probably the warden collar. Do you want to explain what the warden collar is? Yeah, so it's, I guess, like a a collar. The way that they described it, it was like it was like metal or something that it would be like quite uncomfortable to wear. And it like almost, I guess, felt like you were being choked. And you would wear it um, while you were pregnant um, to ensure that a spirit couldn't come into your body and be like combined with your fetus and you wouldn't birth a spirit baby because those were, I guess, really bad. And everyone seemed to agree that that was really bad. Um, <laughs> that spirits shouldn't, um, be able to combine with the fetus. However, we discover throughout the course of the book that other civilizations have figured out a different way to avoid spirits entangling with the, in the womb that didn't involve the warding collar. So I, yeah, the wording color becomes a kind of like symbol of the female impression in this particular society. Yeah, I think, and then for a lot of women, once they start having children or they get married, because the purpose of getting married is to have children, apparently, they just wear them for the rest of their lives. And it also stops the wearer from being able to use magic. But as we know, the book also describes, because Beatrice has to wear it temporarily, It also like dulls your senses and it kind of numbs you a little bit. Like she says that she stopped seeing things in color and she was pretty emotionless. Like it's a way to kind of um, regulate female emotions as well. I think it probably, it was like (laughs) a pretty heavy handed symbol, but it draws on a lot of, um, I don't know, like historical ideas in theory like because it's like metal and it's locked and there's a key you could probably compare it to like chastity belts and things like that right Mm -hmm. um like imprisoning like female sexuality in that way um but the way that women become almost robots kind of reminds me of like like kind of stepford wivesy like because it just numbs um like your senses and emotions and ambition um and kind of creates like probably the like disillusioned uh, suburban housewives of like the feminine mystique. I feel. Um, I think it was. <laughs> I think it was certainly uh, interesting. I feel that they only really explained it and why it was bad very late, <laughs> and they kind of introduced it early. But I didn't really know. We didn't really know what it was, but it wasn't like it was an interesting mystery. Yeah, um, I didn't. I wasn't longing to discover more about it. No, no. I think that's another an issue. Maybe we can talk about here is like the world building problems. I felt kind of bothered me the most because I do. I think maybe if you're maybe not familiar with fantasy or. I don't know, you don't care. I, because I do read a little bit of fantasy, I felt like the world just really wasn't really fleshed out very nicely. Like, and I I think it was like, it's like very jarring. Like the book starts and there's all these like magical terms, which I I currently are like regular fantasy terms, which I have to like Google to really um, feel like I know what's going on. Um, We don't really learn how magic works the logic of um magic and there's like very few spells even happening there's conjurings of the spirit and and things like that we don't really understand how you learn magic how you practice we have like that one practice day where isbeta where beatrice teaches isbeta a few things we don't i still don't really understand what the chapter house is do you think it's like the Law Society of Magicians. Yeah. Like the that, regulatory body. Yeah, and a kind of like school it sounded like too. Yeah. I just think there's there were quite a few things where... Like, was everybody 
some people were mages, some people weren't. It didn't really explain how those societies mixed. We don't really learn about magical society. Um, yeah, I really didn't feel like the world was really fleshed out. I feel that maybe the author was kind of relying on, yes, Regency England with some magic. But when, when you introduce like magic into a book... I really needed to have like logic and to have scope and boundaries and I, like it needs to understand how it works. Um, and I really never, and it was almost like there was too, too much magic and also not enough magic at the same time. Yeah. I felt like the first chapter, first two chapters, I was the same. I was really confused about like the boundaries and like really what was going on. Like, uh, to be honest, um, I do feel like I got some clarity as, as we went on and I kind of wanted to start where I ended in my understanding of like the society, if that makes sense. Um, and then I would have liked to have like been able to build on that, (laughs) that, Um, but what I found like, to be honest, like the most frustrating too, was the relationship between the different places, um, and how like these societies were apparently so different and had all these different restrictions. And yet they were quite keen to, um, like crossbreed, I guess, for lack of a better term that like, they seemed quite interested in like marrying of different, from different societies. And then like, would you then move to that other society if you were someone who married? Like, that wasn't clear to me, like, the consequences of the relationship. So, yeah, I felt like there was a lot to be desired with, like, in terms of, like, the creation of the world. Um, I was intrigued. I thought, like, the ideas were great. And I liked, I liked what could have happened, but I just don't feel like I would agree with you that it didn't, it didn't end where I wanted it to. And speaking of the societies and how they interacted with each other, the strangest of all was that um, the country that Yante and Isbeta are from, we learn more about that country and we hear so much more about um, how that society works and and the hierarchy. We know that women can own property there um, and the the word and color is used differently. We know more about that country than we know about Chasland, which is where Beatrice was Beatrice is from and where the book's actually set. So it's just hard to have relational, like to, <laughs> to, to learn about these two countries. And it's like, they, they want to relate um, them to each other, but we don't even know anything about Chasland, really. We don't learn very much. And we learn more about that other country than where our, than where our book is set. Yeah. And I think that while we're talking about it, I also felt like the name Chasland was a little bit on in the nose. Like, it was, like, just to me, like... What does it mean? Like, because the way it's spelt, it looks like it could be, like, Chase Land. And that maybe that that's what she was going for. Maybe maybe it wasn't as heavy-handed as I think it was. But I just, like, was like, that's that's what it looked like to me. Though, I think maybe uh, this is a good place to talk about this. I did... I do think that using magic to uncover problems within society and... Um, you know, suppression of, you know, X person is a useful literary tactic, right? Because it takes you out of the world you're living in and forces you to to look at another society and examine another society in a way um, that's perhaps more critical than the way that you examine your current society, right? Because um, in the book, like we have the inequality between men and women, um, magicians, like it's so obvious, you know, like it's so in your face. (laughs) Um, and I think sometimes, you know, like the way that inequality works in like our current society isn't necessarily always like so obvious and so in your face, um, because it's, it's our reality. Right. So I think that, you know, the fantasy genre is useful, like in the same way that, uh, same way as Stepford Wives works. Like it's, it's useful to take you out of yourself a little bit, but there's still like, 
there's all there's always still structures that you understand, right? Um, it's not so far out of yourself. So I, I yeah, I, I I will say like I think that 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 was good. And I mean, if I was um, you know an impressionable sixteen year old who was reading this book, like I think that those the way that she simply identifies inequality in society would have um, been of great value to me. I think as, you know, reading it as someone who's done like a lot of research and a lot of thinking in this like feminist women issue space, like her, um, her metaphors didn't necessarily like light, you know, spark a light bulb, you know, she's preaching to the converted here. Right. So, um, yeah, but I think if, if I'm a young adult reading this book, maybe, maybe the simplicity of it is more useful. I think so, but at the same time, are people, are young adults going to read about the warden collar and think like, oh yes, marriage is a cage? Like, I don't know. <laughs> at the same time, I still think maybe it is a little bit beyond them. Um. Well, specifically like the, I mean, I was thinking more of like the decision, the decision to, you know, follow your dreams or to get married and, and how, you know, your dreams might be restricted by, um, by your obligations in the family. Like, I think that that, that idea was, was a little obvious <laughs> and, um, I hope would cause people to question like their own path and their own like desires and what they're going to do in the future. Should we talk about the title? Yeah, I'm not really sure what the bargain was. Cause as we talked about before, we didn't get the bargaining season. And at the end, there wasn't really a bargain. Like, there sort of was, but like, was there? I don't know. Well, the bargain is with the spirit. So when you, a spirit enters you, you have to bargain with them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the first bargain she made with the spirit, she needed to get the book back. Because she lost this book from East Beta, who then becomes her best friend. But she get, she conjures the spirit before she goes to the ball, knowing she'll be there so she can, so the spirit will help her find this book and get it back. And in doing that, she had to make a bargain with the spirit because the spirit just doesn't doesn't just like serve you. And the bargain was the bargain was that before midnight she would get to eat cake and she would kiss a boy. Is that not right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But the ultimate bargain. But that's like the beginning of the book. Like, I don't think there's a midnight bargain that's the ultimate bargain. I think the midnight stuff and the balls is probably supposed to be a little bit Cinderella-y. Yeah, okay. I see that. But the point is that it's not like the bargain is a compromise. Mm-hmm, exactly. But she doesn't, just spoil the end, she doesn't make a compromise. She refuses and she gets to, this is really a book about having it all. Yeah. And yeah, whether women can actually have it all. <laughs> And this book says that you can. This is the this is having it all in uh and a cherry on top. England. Yeah. Yeah. But because and to explain that, um, and to spoil the ending, at the end of the book, Beatrice is basically on a book tour. I don't know. She's like <laughs> Well, I guess we should first explain like the choice that she has to make and then okay, yeah. what ends up happening. The difficult decision that she has is whether to pursue her dream of being a full-fledged magician, you know, despite pushback from men in society, which don't allow women to become magicians and just want them to be um, wives and mothers. Uh, Or she actually does love this guy and actually does kind of want a family. Does she have to decide whether she wants to be a magician or whether she wants to um, be a wife and mother? And... She ends up, like, discovering a way to ensure that she can do both. Because the problem with and the reason for the warding collar, well, the reason for the warding collar is, you know, to continue to oppress and control women. But the reason given for it is that because there's danger during pregnancy if you um, are doing magic or, or not wearing it or magic can be done to you and you can have a spe- spirit baby, which is bad. But she finds a way to protect her, her fetus in the womb while not having to give up magic forever. And right. the way... Which we already that, talked about. Yes, but the way that, that they discover is that both um, 
both parents have to like abstain from uh, magic during the pregnancy. And the book ends kind of with her writing. I don't know if it's like a book tour or like a, a kind of a speaking tour explaining this idea, which she calls the Claiborne method, which is by having both parties abstain from magic during this time, you can ensure that the fetus won't be uh, in danger without having to put um, the mother in a warning collar. Yeah. Well, basically, like she's took a long time to get out. Yeah. So basically, it's like an um, she wants to spread the word. She wants other young female magicians to know that they can they can avoid the the warding collar too. Um, And it becomes kind of like a a public service that she feels compelled to do because she wants she doesn't just want to enjoy this um, this kind of method that she's found she wants to spread it around the world because what she kind of realizes as well during the book is that you know um she thinks that she's the only one going through this like internal struggle um but you know it kind of comes out in in, like you don't really get to know it but you see little glimpses of other women who are struggling with this decision too um because mother who Mm -hmm. who seems to almost not sabotage her marriage but it's like this is what's going to happen. Like, you got to know. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of, um, I, I felt like there was a lot of, like, I had a lot of questions as we like learned about it. I was like, okay, so, um, can you like, I guess, like, I guess when you become a magician, you can't be held by the, the warding caller. Like I didn't really understand that once you, create you cast the spell and become like a full-fledged magician why you can't also just wear the warding collar like I, I didn't understand really why there was like this this stark ultimate decision I don't feel like that was super well explained well I think that the warding collar like having the warding collar at all was pretty horrendous yeah like she describes like like a buzzing and like it's very very uncomfortable it's like having your mind be in a jail so even wearing it for duration of a pregnancy would be is kind of torturous so they want to avoid it at all right but like it seemed like once you cast this ultimate spell that you couldn't go back and i didn't really get why that like this spell seemed to be like we have to cast this spell before we get married because it's somehow going to be this like thing that happens and then all of a sudden we're we're going to be free and it's like i didn't really understand why that had to happen before they got married because like couldn't it happen a- i i guess it couldn't happen after but like that whole negotiation of like time and uh the ultimate sacrifice and decision like it wasn't really clear to me the stakes i'll just say that other than the choice between magician or family like that seemed to be it that i got but i get i get that the word and color is bad obviously but i just didn't understand why once you were this full-fledged magician you were suddenly like free of you would be free of like those obligations or like you couldn't go back to those obligations. Like, I I don't know, like maybe, maybe I just didn't get it. I'm not really sure. And I don't really think that was super well explained to be honest. Yeah. No, there's a lot of things missing. Do we want to talk about some reviews? Sure. A lot of, I really liked a lot of people taking issue with the feminism in the book. <laughs> That's my favorite. Um, I have a one-star review uh, titled Heavy-Handed and Ponderous from the United States on October 19, 2020. No sparkle or wit, only an agenda, not very skillfully weaved into a story. Melissa also rated it one star and rated it did not like it. Either write a novel or a women's lib manifesto. The combination was just weirdly preachy around very little story. (laughs) I'm going to be honest, though. I agree with that. Like, I think that if you're like, if you're someone who identifies as being a feminist and you're reading this book, like you're probably going to read it and be like, okay, sure. Great. I agree. Blah, blah, blah. But like, if you're someone who 
doesn't identify as being a feminist or doesn't like really like, um, like this book isn't going to convert anybody. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's too obvious. Like it's too in your face and it feels, I, I agree. Like it does feel like the author has a clear agenda. And so if you're not someone who's already in that mindset, I don't think that this book helps take you there because there's not enough story around it. Like it's just too in your face. I think that's fair. I would have liked to see like those ideas be, this is so mean, but like be done a little more artfully. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. I I don't know if this is worth reading because she reviewed the book before she read it, but I just think that's so weird. I've never seen someone do this. I think it's so funny. Monique gave it five stars saying, I don't have a review yet. Stay tuned. I haven't started reading this book yet as I am in the middle of reading another book, but I love how it came sealed. (laughs) First thing I do with the book is flip the pages to capture the crisp aroma of untouched newness. Most smells are faint. Not this one. Can't wait to read it. Listen, she's Who as reviews the unboxing of their book. That's so weird to me. Well, that's not that dissimilar from what ends up happening in the book with the relationship between the two leads, right? Because of the smell. Like she's like her whole like love of him is based on his smell. So like Monique gets it. I'm sure Monique loved the book. She was like, that's something I can relate to. Okay. Romance Addict rated it five out of five stars. Loved this book. I have very, very little time to read these days, and it typically takes me literally months to finish a novel. Yet I read this book in about three days flat. That's how absorbing it was. The writing is just beautiful. There are so many satisfying moments that thrilled me, like the scene in which the secondary character launches a violent attack against the heroine Beatrice. Her response to the attack attack literally gave me goosebumps and made me cheer aloud for her. The love story is so sincere and fulfilling. I read some other reviews that took issue with the insta-love nature of this aspect of the novel, but I disagree. The heroine and hero's love is well-founded and explored. It's clear why they fall for each other so deeply. I can't wait to read the rest of C.L. Polk's books. So happy to have found a wonderful author who is brand new to me. Great. Well, I'm so happy she enjoyed it. She Um, really enjoyed it. I will say, I do agree with, like... I did find that I was invested in the outcome of this book because there was like so many complications and it it seemed like, okay, at least at the core of it, that a decision had to be made. And I was desperate to find out what decision was made and how it was resolved. Um, Yeah, it was resolved perfectly, like tied up with a nice little bow, which... It was a very satisfying ending. I do completely agree. Yeah, I actually kind of wanted there to be a little bit more sacrifice because like you constantly heard about like the dangers of practicing magic and how there's all these problems and, and it's, it can often be very tragic. And while we kind of like, you know, get a little touch of what that could be at the end, it all works out a okay. Um, and I, and I didn't want an unhappy ending, but I, I think that I wanted a little bit more of like the real risk because Beatrice just seemed to be like, so uh, cut above the rest. She was just like so brilliant at magic without really any training or, or under or justification of why she was just like so exceptional at magic, which I'm fine with. But like at the end of the day, I was like, she, she was able to do this completely unsupervised <laughs> with absolutely no consequences. So, um, good for her. But, um, I just felt like I wanted, I wanted a little bit more of like the stakes that were at at play and and everything just ended up gray, which, you know, I'm not mad about, but like, I just wanted some stakes. I think so too. I think, I just think it's maybe a little oversimplistic to be like. I felt like what the author was trying to get at was that like all the men had trained in the chapter houses and they all had gone through this formalistic process and without all that Beatrice was already better than them she was clearly deserving of having this magic she was clearly like an extraordinary magician who was capable of great things whose power shouldn't be harnessed like I felt like that's what the author was like trying to do Um, but I just I, I just wanted a little bit more like justification (laughs) i feel like it leaves the reader with oh the end of the revolution is easy we just need to like do the research and like figure it out and we'll all be fine yeah yeah that's what bugged me i was like 
no, like it's going to be painful. <laughs> it's going to be hard. It's never going to end. Maybe like that's, it felt like a commentary on women's liberation movement. And it's like, yeah, it's not just, it's not quite as simple as men just not wanting to listen. It's not, it's not that simple. Although that is, you know, obviously plays a huge role, you know? I also didn't like at the very end when they brought this, like, they found this other Claiborne method. They brought it to the chapter house and the men were like, men not practicing magic for nine months? No way. That's absurd. That's a violation of men's rights. And it was like a little bit like, okay. It was a bit heavy handed for me. I was just like, okay, if, if this was so obviously a better solution (laughs) and so like helpful to the women. Like it seemed a little absurd that the men would be like, no, absolutely not. Now, of course we can find real life scenarios where that is absolutely the case, but I didn't like how heavy handed it was. Do you recommend this book and who do you recommend it to? What kind of reader? I would recommend this to, um, someone in high school, I think, um, no, like, no shade. Like, I, I think that like, there's a lot of really great things about this book. And I think that, you know, it is like, it is like really a fun read. Like I, I really enjoyed it because it, it's like, it's like, it's just simple and it's easy to read and it's not super easy to follow always, <laughs> but like the magic of it kind of does carry the flaws. I think sometimes because you have like like because it's in a fantasy genre, you can kind of like forgive a little bit of a couple things that um, that I don't think otherwise would be as forgivable. So yeah, so like I think if you're if you're a high school student and you and you like this the fantasy genre, um, I think that it's for someone who really is interested in like magic specifically. Don't bank on this being uh, a romance. <laughs> yeah, it's a little light on the romance. Heavy on the magic, but it, the magic isn't super well, well explained. I definitely recommend this book to anyone who enjoys fantasy. I think if you hate fantasy, you're going to hate this. Yeah. Uh, because it it it's it's uses terms like grimoire and like the Verge page. So you're not going to like that. Um, but I do think if you like fantasy, this is a, I think this is a great book. I think it's, you'll like it. It's, it's a, a great Canadian author. Um, obviously, we had our own issues with it, but I still really enjoyed reading it. I loved reading it. It was great. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah, maybe a little bit young, but I don't think it's not for adults. I think that uh, if you like fantasy, you would you could enjoy this book for sure. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with that. I just think that maybe young adults would like it more. Fair enough. Mm. Um, can I tell you my story about Regency England? I've saved it till the end because I'm not sure if you if you'll be interested in it or not. Of course. Okay. So um, when they were talking about like all the food and um, the staying up really really late and the feeling kind of like sickly after the balls. So once upon a time, I did a little show called um, BBC having a ball. Well, it was BBC production, and it was. Um, called having a ball (laughs) and it was basically like um it was a documentary about regency balls um akin to one that would be held in pride and prejudice sort of was the premise and so there was various things like you learned how the food was made um you learned how they did the dances and every like it was very educational but then there was actually like a reenactment of the ball and so I was one of the like Regency dancers. So we got to like learn all these dances and then we showed up and we, <laughs> yeah. And then we, um, with, we actually like went through the ball, like as if it was like the ball really. And for us, uh, despite the fact that like they were filming, it did feel like very akin to the ball. We started, um, oh my gosh, we started at like six o'clock filming and we didn't finish until 3 or 4 a.m. It was like insane. It was insane. And it was a super like it was super beautiful in the end of it. And everyone was dressed up. And um we danced from I think like let's say like eight or nine until 
1am, like legitimately, like we were dancing like the whole time, basically. And I remember just before we went to dinner, we were in this like circle dance that was like particularly like rowdy. And I was next to the fireplace and it was like a real fireplace and it was burning. And I hadn't eaten since four maybe. And it was like one o'clock in the morning. And I (laughs) have never, and they were giving us like a little snack. So I think I just had like an orange, but like I hadn't properly eaten. And I literally thought I was going to be sick. It was so hot in there and I was like so I just had this like orange on the tip of my tongue and it was like in my stomach and I was like desperate for food and like sleep and oh my god it was crazy and I was like this is probably what it was actually like for those like Regency people and then it was like and then you went and you had to sit down dinner and we couldn't eat anything on the table basically because it had been sat out for too long so we were just like and the food was like honestly kind of gross um and then we went home it was like the best worst night of my life. That sounds like a lot of fun. That's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It was like, it was like I said, the best and worst, but there was one particular scene. The reason why I thought about this was there was one particular scene in the book where she was like describing this like feeling of like being exhausted, being like really hot and being like, just like feeling a little sickly. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, I was right there with her and I just like took me back to that me filming having a ball I don't know if that was really interesting as I'm saying it I'm like not I don't know how interesting it is but it it made me think of that and wanted to go back to Regency England that's our episode we're looking for another book for book club so if you have a great recommendation of a Canadian novel please email us at justwatchmepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us tweet at us or instagram us our handle is um just watch me pod and um leave us a five-star review about how amazing we are and how much you love our podcast because it really supports our show thanks see you next week bye Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.